KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. Coaching sunk its hooks in me deeper than I ever thought it would. I was like, this is it. I'm coaching, period. I literally poured my heart and soul into it. You know, I wanted to out-coach every single person I stepped up against. And, you know, that article, she don't know much. I'll show you what I know. And our guest this week, University of Pennsylvania field hockey coach Colleen Fink. And coach, thanks so much for taking the time. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. So the last few months have been kind of weird. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, They're so weird because you would probably be getting ready for a road trip or an Ivy weekend right now as we're speaking. Uh, How difficult, tough has it been not having a season that you'd be in the midst of right now? Just hitting hitting me early with the tough questions. Um, Well, today, ironically, we would be launching our Ivy campaign and we would be playing Princeton today. So it's definitely a tough blow. I feel the hardest for the girls. You know, I think that I'm a coach. I'm going to get to coach again. I'm going to coach for years and years to come. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm still going to be able to, you know, have that experience out on the field. You know, the fact that some of our athletes are going to be losing a year of that experience is just such a tough pill to swallow. You know, they've been handling it beautifully. They are definitely my inspiration during this time, I feel. A tremendous call to service to to offer and provide them like the best possible experience I possibly can. But you know, it's it's getting harder and harder the longer this goes. You know, to come up with creative ideas to keep them engaged and motivated and together is is difficult when we're all over the place, all across the country um, and beyond. So it's uh, posing some struggles. But, you know, I think that we're also learning a lot about ourselves, you know, and, and the importance to, of being able to adapt and, you know, what resilience really looks like now, you know, not not that cliche, oh, you know, we're, we're a team, we play with grit, like, no, what is grit? How does it actually, how do you incorporate that grit from off the field into your everyday life? Um, so, yeah, we're, I think we're exploring a lot of those topics and, and, trying to really create some shared experiences as a team. I think that's been my ultimate goal through this time from a coaching standpoint is that's the thing they're missing the most, the time in the locker room, the time right before practice starts, the time after practice, the, you know, the times in the gym, on the bus, you know, all those shares, shared experiences that culminate to, you know, that amazing four-year experience you had playing college sports. And You know, so that's what we've just been trying to recreate, you know, through a variety of ways. So, but yes, to your point, very challenging, but trying to make the most of it. What are the conversations without, you know, getting too specific or personal that you're having with the kids? And do you find most of them are not field hockey related? They're more life, everything that's going on, kind of dealing with the the day to day of what is American life right now? Yeah, I, I Honestly, it's been all over the place. It's it's been a little bit of everything. Um, I think it it started, you know, as you can imagine, you know, back in February, none of us had the crystal ball to, to predict that this was all gonna, you know, happen. We had had plans to travel to Barcelona to play field hockey over spring break, and as you can imagine, January, I start hearing these 
rumblings of this virus that's happening. And I say to my assistant coaches in our office, I'm like, you know, this could affect our trip. And they looked at me like I was crazy. Like, Colleen, you're just wearing like usual. And then don't, you know, you know, within four or five weeks, you know, I'm up against the wall making a tough decision. Like, should we go or should we not? And it was to the point where I would tell people like, oh, we canceled our trip. And they, they were like, why? You know, and then I'm like, oh, there's like this virus, like, you know, and then literally two weeks later, the entire country shut down. Like it would have, we would have been there when our borders closed. So it, it was, it was a pretty crazy experience. And back then I never would have thought, so we thought that was going to be the craziest turmoil that we confronted as a team. You know, oh my gosh, our trip to Barcelona was canceled. This is awful. Well, you know, I think that kept unraveling a bit. And um, so, so that was the first thing we walked up to. And then as it progressed, as you can imagine, I mean, there's just been so many different things going on in, in the world and in our country that we've had to walk up to as a team, you know, whether it's, you know, the conversations around racism and, and social justice, um, you know, whether it's the virus and, and how to conduct business as usual when you don't know when the next time you're going to play a game is. And then to just, to your point, you know, the day in day out grind of just, you know, getting out of bed and putting your two feet on the floor and, and confronting the day the best you possibly can and and being the best version of yourself. So we've had a little sprinkling of, of everything along the way. So now let's talk about your story. Was field hockey always top of the charts for you growing up? Were you a kid that played everything and eventually gravitated to field hockey. Kind of give me your origin story in, in the sport. <laughs> My origin story into the sport. So yes, I, I grew up in, you know, around here, we always say what parish, right? So I was St. Matthias and played, you know, pretty much any sport that was available through, you know, the archdiocese and, and CYO and things like that. Um, my, my true passion as a, a youngster was, I, I, you ironically, ballet um, and running, you know, and, and as you know, my father was, you know, a track and cross country coach at St. Joe's for close to 50 years. So running was just kind of in our blood, you know, we just kind of always ran. I mean, I remember 4th of July field days, you know, and me being, you know, stepping to the line for like the 50 yard dash thinking like, this is it, you know, I've got to you know, try to come in first place. Unfortunately, I was always up against another good athlete by the name of Mimi Riley, who I'm sure you know as well, who uh, played basketball at Villanova. So we grew up on the same street and, you know, she was good at everything. So, you know, but I got to play basketball with her, which was awesome. So, you know, I think that, you know, I always thought I was going to either be a, a, you know, member of a ballet company or I was going to be a, Olympic runner, you know, I've always aimed kind of high. So I think that those were all always my, my first aspirations. Then, you know, I actually ended up transferring my, in seventh grade to a school called Waldron Mercy. Um, and that was my first exposure to field hockey. And frankly, I I did it because I didn't have any friends. I needed to make friends. They didn't have cross country at Waldron, which was typically my fall sport. And I went out for the team and I literally was like, this is the weirdest game I've ever played. Like you just, I, I, the coach didn't know what to do with me. I was fast. I had no skill. I had no idea what to do. She put me in the backfield. I remember our team being so good that I sat in goal with a girl named Janine Fenlin. She was the goalkeeper of our JV of our, you know, grade school field hockey team. 
and literally sitting in the goal, sitting down in the middle of a game, being like, well, our team's being you know, pretty good. I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Like, that's hilarious. Then I went on to, to Marion Mercy. And that's when I was really exposed to like hockey and, and some really good coaching. My, one of my you know, best coaches, her name was Barb Wilson. She played field hockey at St. Joe's as well. She was just a really organized coach. So I always understood, I always appreciated the way she constructed practice. Like to me, I understood her flow, like where we were building to. And that's when I think I really started loving the game. And then also I started getting attention like, oh, you're pretty good. So I was like, oh, great. I'm good at this. But I also ran track all through high school. Um, I ran indoor track. I was like one of two members of the Mary Mercy indoor track team. My brother was my coach. That's a whole other story for another day. Um, he would say he was, you know, fantastic, but you know, if he, he'll probably listen to this and, and I just need to bust his chops a little bit. Um, and so there was a little bit of a, a conflict for me, you know, do I go track? Do I go field hockey? But there was something about the team element of field hockey. You know, I, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself running, um, and, and to have that relief in a team setting, um, that, that really, fostered my love of the sport of field hockey. And, you know, I got to travel a little bit. I played some travel field hockey and, you know, then started getting some interest from, from some colleges and, you know, it just went on from there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I love all sports, you know, if I, I probably, if I could have picked any sport to really play, if I'm being honest, it probably would have been basketball. I love basketball. I love watching basketball. I think it's the most fun sport just it wasn't in the cards for me. I also, you know, went to Marion Mercy and Jeanette Lee was on that basketball team and we won states and, you know, I, I wasn't that good. I wasn't good enough to contend at that level. So, um, so yeah, I, sports in general just have always been a huge part of my life. When did you stop ballet? Was that as, as soon as you started like with field hockey or did you yeah. continue to a certain point? It's so funny. So I found this letter. I, I was a member of a ballet company called um, Ballet de Jean. It's so funny. I have a sweatshirt right here on the back of my chair from the, my ballet company because uh, we had a guest speaker speak to our team last night who I met through my dance company. Her name is Marissa Porges. She is the headmaster of Baldwin. If you don't know much about her, you should read her story. It's incredible. Um, and she just released a book. But she, um, so I did ballet and then I left. So when I was looking for this sweatshirt up in the attic, I found this letter that I wrote to our company manager. Her name was Donna Tambusi. She was the best. And she, I found this letter. I, I left. And then I had this like overwhelming sense of regret. I feel, I remember it. And I wrote her this long letter, like, please let me back. You know, I made a horrible mistake. I chose sports, but I, I mean, you can see the turmoil in this letter, you know? So I probably danced until, you know, my freshman or sophomore year in, in high school, you know, pretty seriously. And, um, and we had to drive to, to New Jersey every weekend. My dad drove me to New Jersey every weekend. And, uh, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was a hard decision. I, I think I get um, really ingrained in whatever the community is that I'm in. And then it's hard for me to walk away from that. Did you find, cause I at to in a similar thing, I used to do drama club and yeah. choir and stuff like that. And when I turn about 23, 24, 25 early in my radio career, I start to realize how much drama club helped me. I did not do one to compliment the other. It was just, you know, 
different interests, and all of a sudden, like, wow, this really helped. Did you notice ballet helping you as an athlete? Did you realize it at the time? Do you look back now and go, wow, that really helped me get to a different level? Yeah, I definitely didn't realize it at the time. No, you know, my, my parents may have, uh, but I certainly didn't. I just did it because I loved it. I loved the discipline of it. I loved the, you know, it, it, there is an element of, com, com, you know, competing too, even though, you know, you're not being judged at that level. And, and it was all women, you know, it was all girls. And it was, you know, mostly where in my company who I was around all the time in my classes, and I loved that component too. But I, I definitely think it helped. You know, I think it really helped with my coordination. You know, ballet is a sport. I mean, it hurts. It's, it's not easy. Like that repetitive motion on your muscles, you know, the, all, you know, all these people that do bar, you know, right now as, as their form of exercise, they know what I'm talking about. I mean, the burnout you experience is, is extreme. So you really teach yourself to push through some pain and and discomfort, you know, when you're dancing as well. So I think that that definitely helped you, you know, in terms of mental toughness as well. So you're playing field hockey. When do you start to realize, start to think that you can take this and and play this in college? So, you know, you started back then you got letters, you know what I mean? And I remember like my dad, you know, teaching, you know, he got recruiting letters all the time, obviously. So he, showed me what to do. And I remember like doing my first ever like mail merge <laughs> on our desktop computer, you know, with the coaches and, and sending the letters out to the coaches that I was interested in. And then they would write back and, you know, the, the process was far more cumbersome than what it is today. Um, and then, you know, starting to get phone calls. And so that's when, you know, you're like, Oh, maybe I could play in college, but my college commitment story is kind of funny because, you know, as I mentioned, my dad coached track and cross country for close to 50 years at St. Joe's. I ultimately ended up going to St. Joe's, but I had zero interest in going to St. Joe's. I wanted to do something different. I'm not going where all my siblings went. I didn't want to go where my dad worked, you know, whatever. And I'll never forget. um, Michelle Finnegan called me on the phone. That was the head field hockey coach at St. Joe's at the time. And she made me an offer and I accepted it on the spot. Like I did not even discuss it with my folks. And yeah, I'm sure Michelle thought I had discussed it with them. Like, clearly, my dad works with her, you know, whatever. And I remember my parents were sitting up on the second floor. We had like a TV room. And I walk upstairs and I say, so I made my decision. I just told Coach Finnegan I accepted the spot in, her, in the program. I mean, my dad's face, like, he just looked at me. And then he goes, why on earth would you do that? Like, why wouldn't you talk to anybody about it? And then, you know, teenage angst, right? I'm like, you don't appreciate anything I do. I thought you would be happy. You know, the dramatics. I was in drama too. I did all the high school and grade school plays too. And, you know, everything obviously worked out great. And I'm so grateful I had made the decision I made. But um, yeah, I'll never forget that moment. They're like, city was the evening, the, the, flashing of the tv they're like sitting in the dark tv room it's like it's like it was yesterday <laughs> that is a great story that is a <laughs> that is one of the best stories we've had on this podcast <laughs> so you go to st joe's how much easier it's always a difficult transition whether the school's close to home far from home whether you're doing a sport not doing a sport how much easier was it dad was a coach there you 
had to have a, a more intimate understanding of the lay of the land than the average freshman. Definitely. Honestly, the transition to college was pretty easy for me. I was, I, I mean, my apartment, my junior and senior year in college was further from campus than my house that I grew up in. Uh, my dad would walk to work some mornings um, or could walk. Yeah, I definitely was super comfortable. I mean, I remember, I, you know, I knew where everything was. I knew the names of every building. I knew, I mean, I grew up in the field house practically. You know what I mean? I mean, I remember running around the field house, it, you know, swimming in the, the pool all summer and running around the field house barefoot with my towel, dripping water all over, getting yelled at by the facilities people. Margaret would be like, ah, you, the Quins need to stop running around this place barefoot. Um, you know, we thought it was like, it was like our home away from home. I did every basketball camp. I mean, some of my best camp memories are from basketball camp when Cindy was on the basketball team and Kate Gardler and, you know, like they were the best basketball team. Like they had the, the, they had the best personalities. They made camp so fun. I think that's probably why I love basketball so much. Honestly, you know, some of my finest memories of the summer are either, you know, playground camp through, you know, Balakinwood, Laura Marion, or camps and just hanging out at St. Joe's all day. I mean, we thought we were, we played racquetball. I don't know how to play racquetball, but we thought we owned those racquetball courts. You know, we'd run on the track, we'd play basketball. We, we you know, we kind of had our own little multi-sport facility to, to run around in. So we talk about your dad, Kevin Quinn, and he is, he wasn't just a coach. He's a legend at St. Joe's and in the track and field cross country community. Any, did you feel any extra pressure? Even though you're not playing for him, you're playing at the school. The last name carries some weight. Yeah. Did you feel pressure as a, as a student, as a person, as an athlete, or were you kind of too young to appreciate everything? So he hates this answer, but I'll be honest. Yes. I felt a ton of pressure, not just in college, even just leading up to that, you know, and, and most of it self-inflicted, you know, I I think that, you know, when he would come to my track meets in high school, my dad loves taking pictures. If anyone knows my dad, he loves, you know, when even when his own girls on the St. Joe's team, he would be out there with the long zoom lens he would love to take photos. And I remember looking at them at night, you know, when you used to go to Acme and get them printed out and you'd go, and then you're look, flipping through them. Right. You know, I, I don't know. I remember looking through my dad's recruiting binder too, and looking at the girl's times and seeing his notes and being like, okay, like, the, you know, you're, you're really getting a firsthand look on how athletes are judged. And that doesn't leave you. I was always really interested in my dad and his recruiting. I would sit at the kitchen table and listen to his recruiting calls. Um, and I, after calls, I would say, yo, you should have said this or you should have said that, you know. And I always keep my dad is one of the most humble people that you will ever meet. Um, and it used to drive me crazy because I'd be like, dad, you need to you know, tell them like, you're that you're awesome. And that you have the only NCAA championship in St. Joe's history. And, you know, this, that, and the other, but that was not his way. So, you know, I I think, I think just being exposed to all of that and understanding the, the construct of recruiting and evaluating athletes and, and that honest feedback that they get, you know, you, you, put some pressure on yourself. So while he would say he never put pressure on me, which I totally agree, I definitely put a ton of pressure on myself. So purely from 
an athletic, a competition standpoint, how comfortable did you feel at the college level that first year as a freshman, purely playing the game? Was it an adjustment speed-wise, or did you feel pretty good? Oh, yeah. No, I was totally out of my league. So the year before I arrived at St. Joe's, I was super pumped. The team I got recruited to was really strong. They had just um, won, you know, a couple of A-10 championships. They'd made it to the NCAA tournament the year before. The team was really good. And, you know, the expectations were high. Michelle Finnegan soon left. Um, So the coach that recruited me was not my freshman year coach. So that's always an interesting dynamic, you know, when you, you know, somebody's perception of you might be a little bit different than, than somebody else's, you know, and, and every coach recruit, and I tell this to the, the, the players that we're recruiting or the players that we're not recruiting, frankly, is that it doesn't mean that you're not a good player. It just means that you're not the right player for my coaching. Right. So that freshman year was definitely hard because, you know, I, I definitely, pride myself on being a really hard worker. And I think I had always been rewarded for working hard. And it was probably the first time in my life that I walked up to, yeah, good for you. Everybody works hard. And you're kind of like, okay, like I'm not going to be the best one on this team because everyone's working as hard as I am. And that's a hard, that's a hard reality. I think as an athlete who is, is typically one of the stronger ones in the group. Do you think a new coach, a freshman, do you think if it's not St. Joe's, if your dad doesn't coach there, if it's not close to home, do you think he might have, do you think he could have, it could have led to a different path and maybe you transfer in another situation or do you think you, you would have stuck it out no matter what? Yeah, I'm going to stick it out no matter what kind of girl. <laughs> I think I would have just dug my heels in. And, you know, I loved my team and I loved my coach. The coach was Joan Broderick. She was tough as nails. I mean, she taught me lessons too, you know, and, and even though we might not have always seen eye to eye, you know, she definitely taught me a lot of lessons as well. And, um, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't have changed my college experience. It was hard. And, um, you know, I, I, I wish that I had probably just calmed down a little bit in my head. I wish I had been able to just play and not always be so concerned about what the coaches were thinking or, was I performing at a high enough level to, to get where I wanted to be? You know, I, I wish I was able to cast a light away from that a little bit. Um, but, you know, that was a lot of the, the give and take, especially my freshman and sophomore years. So when you think back to your time as a, as a college field hockey player, what are some of the best memories? Are they games, moments, or are they road trips, practice, locker room? Where does the arrow fall there? Yeah, definitely the latter. Unfortunately, after Michelle left, St. Joe's field hockey did end up taking a little dip um, in terms of success. And and you, as you know, the trajectory is well on its way of, of being an amazing program right now. So, you know, programs have these ebbs and flows and it just happens. But, um, you know, I, I lived in um, uh, an apartment with uh, another field hockey player, um, two lacrosse players and two soccer players and our teams all kind of meshed really well together. And, you know, we had fun, you know, we had a great time and um, yeah, I I drive by sometimes where my apartment is, was, and you know, those, those memories come flushing back too, but 
I mean, we had like the funniest people on our team, you know, like Jana Watts, she lives in California. She had such an impact on me because she worked hard, but she played hard and she was fun. She was funny. She made practice fun, but she was probably one of the strongest and fastest people on our team that always resonated with me that like work can be fun. And I probably hadn't learned that lesson yet until I got to college and I've carried that with me, but we had like Joni Fadeco. I mean, they, these girls were hilarious. Like you, they would have you in stitches every day, dying, laughing. So yeah, I definitely would have stuck it out. And I mean, the community, the friendships, the team, that that's all what, what resonates with me. I, of course, I would have loved to have had more wins and more success. Um, but St. Joe's gave us stuff that, you know, you can't, a trophy doesn't, you know, doesn't really cut it. Do you always figure you're going to coach at some point or is it you get near the end of your career and you're like, I really want to stay connected to the sport? Never was going to coach ever a day in my life. I was going to make money. I was going to like beat it out of Philadelphia. I was going to make big money. I had big plans. Yeah, no, I did not want to coach. I saw how hard my dad worked um, and, and making a modest living. And I was like, this is a joke. Like why on earth would you choose this path? Like, no, you work every weekend. You work literally every day of the week. That's, we should be living in a mansion, dad. Like what is going on here? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And my, my parents had six kids. So, you know, it was, it was always, uh, an interesting thing going on in our house. You know, we all had to work, we all needed our own money. You know, we all had to earn, earn our, our way. So no, no, I did not want to coach at all. Um, I was a marketing major at St. Joe's. My first job was an internship at Villanova. Um, I can say Villanova gave me one good thing in my life because, you know, as a St. Joe's person and now a Penn person like Villanova, you can't admit any love or affection to Villanova. But I met my husband during that internship. Um, So that was the that's literally the only good thing about Villanova. Just kidding to all my friends from Villanova. But I was in corporate sponsorship. So I still kind of had that niche in sports, but I was in corporate sponsorship. And I thought that was my way to like open the door to the business world, right? I'll go corporate sponsorship, I'll network, and then I'll just, you know, climb the corporate ladder and that'll be that. I've always been somewhat entrepreneurial. I started a camp business my first year out of college. And my first camp was probably one of the first field hockey recruiting showcases in the country at the time, um, outside of maybe one other. And it had 300 kids and 60. I mean, I didn't even know what I was doing. I had zero idea what I was doing. But, you know, I just sometimes think I'm capable of doing things that I have no business thinking that I'm capable of doing, which led me to coaching. So then the athletic director at Archbishop Carroll calls me in the like literally the first week of August. And he's like, oh, I hear you're in the area and I hear you played field hockey at St. Joe's and we really need a coach. And I'm like, you know, what are we talking here? Like freshman team, JV team? Like, I I don't really want to coach. Like I have a job, like whatever. And he essentially like got down on his hands and knees and begged me to be the varsity field hockey coach. I was literally 22 years old and Carol was good. So I was like, I don't, I don't know. I'll commit to like one season. He like twisted my arm. I decide to do it. I show up to Carol and the sports editor 
of the Mainline Times was there to interview the new field hockey coach. This is another good story, I think. And he, it's my first day. I literally, I, I don't even know the girls' names yet. And I probably look like I could be on the team at this point in my career. And he comes up to me and this man, he just starts, he was a young guy too. He starts asking me all these questions. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I have no, I, I mean, I was really honest. Like I have no idea. I didn't know the captains. I literally knew nothing. So don't you know the next day, and I have this article hanging in my office to this day, the headline of the article is, she don't know much. <laughs> I was like, are you freaking kidding me? She don't know much is what you go with? Like, and I'm like, yeah, you came the first day of practice, dude. Of course I don't know anything. So anyway, we go on to win the Catholic League that year. I mean, and when I tell you coaching sunk its hooks in me, like deeper than I ever thought it would, I was done. I was done. I was like, this is it. I'm coaching, period. I mean, the things I did that year to, you know, coach that team, I mean, I, I literally poured my heart and soul into it, you know, and, and I'm still like really good friends with all of those girls. And another fun fact is that the associate head coach at the University of Pennsylvania, her name is Caitlin O'Brien. She was the senior captain of that team that I coached our Trishop Carroll, her along with Jen Rauscher, who is another dear friend of mine. So it all came from, she's been coaching with me, you know, for God, seven, 16, 17 years. She was that captain of the first team I ever coached. And it's time for a break here on one-on-one. -on -one. We will have more with Penfield hockey coach Colleen Fink right after this. Hey everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter, but every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers and change makers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we are back on one on one. Our guest this week, University of Pennsylvania field hockey coach Colleen Fink. So, what was it that got its hook so deep into you? Was it dealing with the kids? Was it the strategizing? Was it you know putting your seeing your ideas come together? A little bit of everything. What was it? Yeah, I think the first thing that really got to me was like your ability as a leader to inspire, you know, and like trying to think of creative ways that will evoke emotion in your players to have them perform. So I think that's what really got me going in the beginning, just like the passion of that emotion of the game. And like those, the kids there, like they get that, right? Like they can get pretty rowdy, those Carol kids, like they, they ate that up. Like you could come and read them something or do something or say something. I mean, they were like, they were like there, they were just passionate kids. And then, yeah, just, I am competitive. You know, I wanted to out coach every single person I stepped up against, you know, and, 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 you know, that article, she don't know much. Well, you know, I'll show you like, you know, I'll show you what I know. And, you know, I remember stringing bracelets 
that, you know, said CLC for Catholic League champs for like every kid on the team that first year, like making these little bracelets for everybody to wear, you know, like I would just do like crazy, silly things because I just was so invested and I never thought I would have been um, that early on. So yeah, that was, that was what gave me that taste. And, and then I had to kind of change my whole life trajectory and course and plan. Was that tough or did it, was it, did it not matter that much because you enjoyed yourself so much? Yeah, I didn't care. I like left that other vision in the rear view mirror. So three years at Carroll and then you go back to St. Joe's as an assistant, correct? Yes. And I coach Caitlin O'Brien again. (laughs) She was on that team as well. (laughs) She thought I was stalking her. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's another funny story. I mean, I was kind of tough. I was tougher back then than I am now, probably. Probably a little bit more brutally honest. Like, I, Caitlin wasn't, isn't a crier at all. Like, as an athlete, she was pretty stone-faced. And I remember after a game, we won in overtime, and we had, like, 80 shots on goal. Something absurd. And I was berating them after the game. Like, that, you know, whatever. And Caitlin <laughs> broke down in tears saying, like, can't you ever be satisfied? I'll never forget it. And sometimes we, I bring that up to her, like, can't you ever be satisfied? Um, and then when I told her I was coaching, going to be coaching as an assistant at St. Joe's, I thought she was going to be so excited. I thought she was going to like give me a warm embrace. She literally just rolled her eyes, turned around and walked away. I was like, so that said it all. I was tough. I was, I was kind of tough and harsh back in those days, I would say. Was it tough? And I mean, you're still very young here, but was it tough after being a head coach? (laughs) Was it tough after being a head coach to go back to be, to being an, or not go back to being an assistant? Yes. For me, for my personality type. Yes. It was definitely hard. Um, and I was coaching with Michelle Finnegan, Michelle Finnegan returned to St. Joe's. So now I was coaching with the coach who recruited me to go to St. Joe's. Um, and I have my own ideas, right? I have my own ideas and, and ideas of how things should be done. And um, I was young and I thought I was probably better than I was. And so, yeah, I mean, I, again, I think that experience taught me a lot too. Like I had to kind of take a back seat and, and learn. And, and there was another assistant coach there. Um, and I learned a lot from her as well, you know, and, I, and I'm glad I had that experience of being an assistant coach because it taught me that there's more, always more to be learned. There's always something that you can get for out of any experience. After two years as an assistant, then you take over at Haverford. And if I, my research, you took over a program that had been struggling. So you get to Haverford. What do you see? What do you want to put in motion? Yeah. So I had no idea what I was doing. Never really. I, my cousin, Christopher Colston went to Haverford. He was on the track and cross country team. Shout out to the goats and Tom Donnelly, who I know was a guest on your, your show once before. Yeah, they were, they were in a difficult spot. They did not have a turf field. They played on grass. Um, and it's funny because the job opened, it was, you know, right around the corner my husband, um, I would be remiss in mentioning, we battle who I was like an average division one athlete. He was like an amazing division three athlete. He was an all American football 
player and he also played lacrosse at Swarthmore College. So he was super familiar with the Centennial Conference. I was not. And I go to him and I say, you know, what do you know about Haverford College? He's like, I mean, I know that it's one of the best colleges in the like world. And I'm like, well, the head coaching job there is open. He's like, you need to take it. And I'm like, yeah, but they're right now they're struggling. They're like on the bottom of the conference ranking. And he's like, Colleen, you can recruit there. It's one of the best schools. Like you just have to find the right kid and you can recruit there. So I was like, okay. So yeah, I went and, and the first priority, there's so many parallels between me taking Haverford over and me taking Penn over. Both needed a facility. Both, you know, were kind of in that lull in their trajectory and needed some, some guidance and inspiration. So I really just wanted to get a new facility and recruit. Those were like my two priorities when I first stepped on campus um, at Haverford and have it viewed as a field hockey school, you know, and, and, you know, I just busted my butt on all those fronts and, and we were able to accomplish some of those things. What are your favorite memories of your time at Haverford? Oh my God, my Haverford days. I love those girls, those athletes. I mean, they played beyond themselves. They were so highly motivated. I mean, some of, I mean, I could ramble off so many names to you, Roxanne Jaffe, Mary Hobbs. I mean, Margaret Seltzer. I mean, these girls were like salt of the earth. Like they just, they, they get it. You know, they like, and I mean, again, this was my first college head coaching job. I was tough. I cringe. Like I I probably owe some of these girls an apology. Like I look back and I cringe at maybe some of the things that have come out of my mouth in my coaching career, you know? And I think all coaches where that, where I am now probably feel that same way. You grow, you evolve, you learn better tactics on, on trying to get your athletes, get the best out of your athletes. But you know, they just, they just, took it, man. Like they just were like, okay, like I'm just going to keep on showing up and and working hard. And, um, and they were really good. I mean, that is a huge, that's a huge rewarding part uh, of this job is that you can see your hard work in motion and and see the results change over time. And, you know, you get to kind of sit back and, and enjoy it in the game setting and, and see the, all the hard work come to fruition. And, you know, one of my best, I mean, the turnaround between these two years, my, my second to last year, we missed the playoffs by one year, by one game, excuse me. And it was the last game of our season, last regular game of the season, and we lost. And I mean, I was bawling. Cry- I was so upset. I was crying. And my husband was at his bachelor party. We were getting married that November. And I call him. I call him like I'm such a jerk. I call him on the phone. And I'm like, we lost. We didn't make the playoffs. This is horrible. And he's like, are you trying to ruin my bachelor party? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, I'm really sorry. Can we talk about this later? So, yeah, because, you know, the world revolves around me. And then the next year, we won. And we made it to the playoffs for the first time in program history. And we won our first playoff game, which was even, and we got to host our first playoff game, which was even better. And I'll never forget that whole day. I don't forget. I remember the day from start to finish. I remember the game. And then my husband, the um, Pearl Jam was playing their, the last concert ever 
at the Spectrum. Is that mm-hmm. right? And we had tickets that night. So we make the playoffs. We clinch the, the first ever birth. And then I get to go see Pearl Jam at the Spectrum for the last concert ever to be played. I mean, it was epic. <laughs> <laughs> how And how much sweeter did making the playoffs after coming so close and falling short? I mean, that has to, I mean, as special as doing something the first time is to have been on the brink and just missed and then to do it, it just has to take it to another level. I mean, it was gut, losing that game was gut wrenching. It was gut wrenching. It almost felt like I've only had one other experience like this in coaching. And it was when we lost to Princeton in overtime a couple of years ago where you were like, I think something happened in the universe that wasn't supposed to. Like you were like convinced that you were supposed to win that game. And then like the the rug got pulled out from under you and you just were in a state of shock because you really, I mean, we really believed we were going to win that game. And then to have it happen. Yeah. I mean, my dad always says, I mean, my dad's a parent, but he's coached me my whole life, essentially that like, you know, as a coach, the losses just linger and they linger and they fester and like that they festered until that, until we made that, that playoff, you know, like that was the motivation. Like that wasn't supposed to happen girls. And you, now you know what close feels like and we've got to write this ship. Right. So then when you do it, I mean, it was like, and then you're like, Oh gosh, now we have to make, now we have to win the playoff game because you can't have this big like fall off. Right. So like, then that becomes the goal. Like let's win our first playoff game. So yeah, it was all, it was amazing that, I mean, Dan Bielli, who was the longtime football coach at Carroll, the first championship I ever won at Carroll, he put in my mailbox in the athletic department, a little slip of paper. And it said champions. If you, a, a team that wins a championship walks together forever and all, we didn't win the Centennial Championship, but like ma- hitting that marker, it felt like we almost did. And that's why, I mean, I will remember those girls till the end of time. You know, like we had like that magical moment, you know. So you're having this success at Haverford. You've turned things around. Talk uh, about the journey to Penn. After four years at Haverford, how does the door open for you to take over there? Yeah. So leaving Haverford was virtually impossible. I mean, I remember the meeting and telling the girls, I mean, it was, it took a lot to to leave Haverford because I was happy there, but I fought tooth and nail to get an interview um, at Penn because I, I did see a lot of parallels. Some people, some colleagues of mine told me that once you go to division three, you'll never get back to D one that I was an idiot for going D three. Like I would never get a D one coaching job. It would be really hard. So I was really nervous about that. I really want it. I, I always want to coach at the highest level. So I thought, I mean, I must've, I think, I feel like I stalked Penn. I pretty much bullied them into giving me an interview essentially. And I, cause I knew if I could get an interview and I could show the parallels that I could t- explain to them like what my plan would be at Penn. Um, and that's kind of what happened. I mean, I, my dad does not like favors. He's not the kind of guy that's like, oh, you're applying for this job. I'll call someone. I know he's just, he's like, you earn what you got. So good luck. And let me know how it shakes out. I went to my dad and I asked him, so Mike Diorca, 
he used to a long time guy down at Penn. He was facilities, Penn relays, all this stuff. He ran for my dad. I said, dad, you got to ask Mike Diorca to like put in a word with me somewhere at Penn. Like I, I, I don't even care to who. So my dad agrees, which is like a m- minor miracle in and of itself for people who know my dad. So he goes to Diorca. Diorca puts it I, somehow. I, you know, Diorca would say, I owe my entire coaching career at Penn to him. So thank you, Mike Diorca. Um, and I got the interview and the interview process was extensive. And it was interesting when people were hearing, you know, through the field hockey community that I was a finalist, people were saying like, you're not going to take this job. You can't take this job. They're, they're, that program, it's not a serious program. At that time, we were playing in Franklin Field, which that surface for the sport of field hockey is, isn't great. Um, for to, for having a really competitive program, you know, there people have been told that Penn's never getting a field hockey specific facility. You know, I, I it's it's a dead end, and I was like, it's a dead end. It's Penn. It's Penn. We'll get the field. We'll do what we need to do. And um, I think a lot of my messaging just really resonated with the the field hockey alums and who who had had a lot of success in in their time at Penn. I had had a lot of recruiting success at Haverford. It's an interesting parallel there as well, you know, to be able to attract athletes. You know, I give my players credits. They could go get scholarships at other schools easily. But the fact that they choose to challenge themselves and and place such a heavy weight on their education and understand that it's a life trajectory change um, if you can get a degree from a place like Penn or Haverford – so I think a lot of that resonated with, with the folks that I was talking to at Penn. And, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be named the head coach at, at Penn. And you talk about similarities in the interview with what you did at Haverford. You've got the job you take over. How much of the playbook are you taking from year one at Haverford and putting year one at Penn? Because Division One, Division Three, but you are still going after the high-level academic student athlete with the emphasis on student it's still kind of the same pool you're fishing out of yeah absolutely well our strategy has always been i we're we're very i'll be honest we're really we're really lucky field hockey is a high achieving type of sport a lot of bright young women play the sport of field hockey so we our our strategy right out of the gate was like let's go after the best kids. We might not get them, but it's gonna get our the name our name out there, right? So we just started recruiting anyone and everyone the the highest level players who we probably had zero business even emailing at that point in time. But we just went all in, and then early on in conversations, you really know an athlete if they get it. So we, we, we became more and more efficient in knowing that if a kid doesn't, if you have to really, really convince, not a little bit of convincing, but if you have to really convince a kid what an education at Penn can do for them, you're probably not going to really be able to explain it to them. So we became a lot more efficient in our recruiting. We wasted less time with people that probably weren't going to understand that conceptually. And, and we got some big time players at, at both Haverford and at Penn, as you know. So I think that that was, 
that's a huge piece to the, to the equation. And even now, you know, the recruiting landscape has obviously changed <laughs> given the current circumstances. But, you know, we need high level players, blue chip athletes who want to come to Penn instead of going to an ACC or a Big Ten or another Ivy um, opponent. We want them to choose Penn over those options. You've had a lot of success at Penn. You guys have gone to the brink of an Ivy title a couple of times. You've had one of the greatest field hockey players I think the Philadelphia area has ever seen in Alexa Hoover. Uh, When you look, what are things that are still on the plate that you want to accomplish? What are the the short, long-term goals for your program? I mean, that consistency of of being at the, you know, at the top, you know, I I would say we've consistently been in the top three since we got there, I'll I'll say, you know, we want to get to the tournament. We want to go to the NCAA tournament. So, you know, um, I, I would be lying if I didn't say that Princeton has, you know, had the corner on the market of the Ivy League championship, you know, and unfortunately we don't have a tournament. So, you know, your regular season games carry a lot of weight. Um, and, and you, you know, if you lose one game, you're not winning the championship for your conference. So, you know, it, it's a high pressure situation, which I like in a lot of ways, but then in a lot of ways is also frustrating. We want to contend for an Ivy championship, but then we also want our strength of schedule and RPI um, to be at a place that affords us the opportunity to also potentially get us in that large bid. You know, the field hockey tournament at the D1 level is pretty small. So, you know, you need a kind of top 10, top 12 uh, RPI outside of winning your championship. So, you know, we, we feel like we've scheduled accordingly. We, we haven't been able to get the wins that we needed some years. We've come close. I think one year we were probably two teams out of an at-large bid um, for the NCAA tournament, but that's ultimately the goal. And then to consistently stay there, I don't want it to be a one hit wonder. I don't want it to be a one-off. You know, I think that we have a a top notch program, you know, we've been consistently in like the top 20 to 25 typically, but yeah, we got, we got to climb about 10 more spots consistently to get there. And a lot of people say it can't be done. It's an Ivy league school and, you know, all the other excuses that you can manufacture, but I know my team and I know my athletes and I know that they are capable, you know, and a lot of people, I don't know if this is on your list of questions, ask me like, what would be next? Like, where, where would you, where, what's your dream job? I feel like I have my dream job. I think Penn can win. I think Penn can be that team that I'm describing. Um, so, you know, that's my goal. My goal is to make Penn be that national powerhouse. I I don't want to have to go someplace else and, and, and inherit that powerhouse. I want to make my team that powerhouse. What is your favorite part of what you do? My favorite part. I mean, it's got to just be about being on a team, you know, like I'm, as I'm sure you've picked up, like you probably are interviewing me at the worst possible moment. Cause I haven't coached in six months. So I'm all like crazy and intense and, and wild. But I think that, um, yeah, the thing you miss the most is just the day, the daily grind, right? The thing that you think you probably complain about the most, right? You know, I love those first 10 minutes before practice, you know, the 10 minutes where you're just like shooting the breeze with the girls while they're getting ready, they're putting their shin guards on, you know, you're joking, you're laughing, you're maybe razzing someone, you're, you know, like, I think that's what you miss the most. Um, 
but I definitely miss competing. I mean, my poor son is playing baseball for the first time. As you know, he's eight years old. I mean, I'm a deranged parent because I'm like, this is it. This is my only outlet for sports. And I'm like cheering and I'm, you know, and they're one in four. So I don't know what I'm all riled up about, but you know, I think I just miss competing for sure. Like when my son's baseball team loses, I'm like mad. Like, I'm like, this is absurd, but I'm like, you know, because of that bucket isn't being filled for me right now. So yeah, I, it's being filled a little bit by Peloton, but it's, it's no replacement. How would Colleen, the player react to being coached by Colleen, the coach? <laughs> That's a funny question, Matt. Oh my gosh. I think, God, I hope that she would respond really positively and, you know, work really hard. You know, I always tell my team that I, everything that I do is either from something I learned or I didn't get as a player. And I think I try, I think I kind of coach myself every day because I try to be the coach that I would have wanted, whether I'm successful in that. I mean, we, there's always moments, I'm sure you share these things as a parent and, 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 you know, even in your career where you wish you did it differently or you have some regret or, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I, I definitely still have those moments. You know, I, I'm far from perfect. My team can definitely tell you that. Um, you know, I, I, I probably would be a little bit surprised on how far I've come in terms of trying to develop the other side of an athlete. You know, one of our, if you follow us on social media or anything, you, one of our hashtags is have it all, you know, and, and I, I knew I always was a feminist. I always was, you know, a strong advocate for, for female leadership and equality, um, but now it's also evolved into, I want the girls who play for me to go on and do even bigger and better things after they, they leave. Um, and, and having them be ready for that moment, because, you know, I'll be the first to admit being a woman in this society is really challenging. There is a lot of pressure. You have to be a great mom. You have to be a good wife. You have to be a career woman. You have to earn a de decent wage. You have to run your household. So, so a lot of the things that my mom was expected to do as a stay-at-home mom are still the same for, for women who are now working full-time too. So my job, I think, as a coach is to prepare my players for that moment and, and to, to be able to juggle all those things and be equipped to handle all of those, all of those challenges that they're going to face. And final question, do you ever take a moment – to think of what the path of your life would have been if Archbishop Carroll doesn't call? Seriously. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know. Cause you, it sounds like you were all in on the yeah. corporate and yeah, we would be talking a completely, first of all, we wouldn't be talking, but yeah. second of all, it's a completely different painting that's being put on the wall. Then do you ever think yeah. about that? I don't, I haven't really thought about it, honestly. I, th I honestly, I think I just never look back, you know, and I think that, you know, I know that I'm doing the, what, I, what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, and if anything, now I, I feel like I'm pushing myself even further, right? Like, how do I even get beyond coaching? You know, I don't have any visions of ever going into administration or doing those. And I, I, I like the boots on the ground feeling, but you know, 
what is, what is the next thing a coach can do, right? Like big picture stuff. So, you know, maybe it's partial midlife crisis. I, you know, who knows what's happening? Maybe it's the pandemic, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm sure my life would look a lot different. You know, I mean, everything could have been different. You know, I, um, you know, met my husband, my husband bought into me coaching. He's like an amazing support system. If I didn't have him, I, I probably wouldn't be able to be doing all this. He has encouraged me to shoot for the stars from the jump. Um, you know, my sons, you know, are on the side. I mean, Penfield hockey is my, my son's second family. You know, it's such a major part of our life. You know, I, I try to explain it to the girls. Like you have no idea how lucky I am that I have two sons that are exposed to all of you women. And that is their view of girls. You know, my sons view girls probably very differently than some other young men, you know, because they look at them as, you know, these fierce, strong, competent, competitive people, you know, and, and Toby, my, my six-year-old one day, I was wearing a, a pen sweatshirt or something with the pen shield on it. And he said like, so that's kind of like your superhero symbol, you know, like they, they think it's really cool that I'm a coach and that it's a pen and they're proud of pen. It's a, it's, it's, it's a huge part of our life. It's very similar to the way I was brought up, ironically, you know. Colleen Fink, thanks so much for taking the time. <laughs> thanks so much, Matt. I hope I didn't bore you, Stip. <laughs> and that will do it for One on One this week. Want to thank University of Pennsylvania head field hockey coach Colleen Fink for being our guest. If you like the show and want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod, and you can follow me on Twitter as well at MattLeon1060. Thanks so much for listening, and we will be back next week with another conversation with someone you should